listeners, I hope that you're having a wonderful day and that you're staying safe and healthy out there. This is Annalisa, the Community Youth Educator for the Network. And today we're doing an important podcast episode with April being Sexual Assault Awareness Month and Child Abuse Prevention Month. We're going to do an episode that kind of ties in a little bit of both of those by talking about male survivors of sexual violence and some of the resources that are offered for them. We have a number of resources for men experiencing dating violence and sexual violence, but I'm also going to be doing this interview with the YWCA, New Britain Sexual Assault Crisis Service, um, men and boys advocate, Jamal, and he has some great input on services they have that are a little bit more specific to sexual violence. There is an overlap between dating violence and sexual violence. And so if somebody is in a relationship that they're experiencing abuse as a male survivor, you are welcome to use our services as well. We do have the counseling support groups, our safe house and our court services. All of our services are available for any gender and any sexual orientation. We, um, so we can be here to help you through that. But we also know that sometimes getting more specific services can be helpful as well. So I think that it is a great option to be able to reach out to the Sexual Assault Crisis Service if you're experiencing sexual violence. And it can be really helpful to have a specific men and boys advocate. And they also have a specific LGBTQ advocate. So sometimes it feels a little bit more comfortable reaching out to resources that are designed specifically for you. So whether you want to use their resources or if you're experiencing an abusive situation and you would like to use our services, please reach out. We're all here for you. We all want to make sure that you know that you're not alone, that help is available and that we are here for you. But if you are somebody who hasn't experienced sexual violence, it's still great to listen in on this podcast episode because we're also going to talk about ways that you can support people in your life, whether that be a friend, a coworker, a, a child, anybody who might be experiencing this. And we're also going to talk about some things like what you can do as a bystander. But I think it's good just to have that awareness and education about what these issues are like, what the people who are facing them might go through, and the ways that we can support and help each other. Because a person who discloses that they've experienced dating or sexual violence Um, Probably, according to statistics, is not going to come to an expert first. I think we all like to reach out to people that we feel comfortable and safe with and somebody that we know. So it is always good to have this education, even if you're somebody who's not experiencing it, because you never know who might. And unfortunately, with statistics being what they are, the chances are pretty high that you might know somebody who's gone through this. And it's okay if you don't know everything and you don't have all the answers, but those first experiences with someone disclosing can really mean a lot in terms of their continuing to seek help and their healing process. So just listening, supporting and believing is all you really need to do. I'm not trying to put a lot of pressure on you to do everything perfect or to know all the answers. That's totally fine. But having an understanding of it so that you can Um, respond in a compassionate way, I think, is really helpful to people going through these experiences. So we have a great interview today. We're going to get a lot of wonderful information that I think is really important and valuable and might give you a little bit 
different of a perspective or maybe just reinforce some of the things that you already believe, which is great as well. But it is always good just to hear more from different people and to learn a little bit more about what other people might be going through. And again, if you are someone experiencing this to know what services are like for you, what they might look like entering in, hopefully feel a little bit more comfortable because we definitely want you to be getting the support and help that you need. So without further ado, we're just going to get right into this awesome interview. Thank you so much to Jamal for being willing to talk to us about this. Um, he's going to have a lot of great answers and information as well. Uh, hopefully you'll get a lot out of this. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Can you? No problem. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about your role with the YWCA New Britain Sexual Assault Crisis Service and the services that you offer for boys and men? Absolutely. So, um, again, uh, my name is Jamal Wagner. I am the men and boys advocate from the Sexual Assault Crisis Service of the YWCA in New Britain. Um, I also work with uh, incarcerated, uh, or formerly incarcerated, but currently incarcerated um, individuals who may be experiencing um, sexual assault. Um, I don't just deal with um, men and boys. I also do have uh, female clients that I deal with who have um, been a victim or a survivor. We kind of get a, away from the word um, victim, um, but survivor of sexual assault. Um, I work with anybody who has um, experienced any kind of sexual violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment, anything of that nature. Um, just um, through the Y, we have a plethora of different um, services that we offer. One is a 24-7 hotline in both English and Spanish. And I'm going to do a plug real quick. Um, that number in English is 888 uh, um, in Spanish, 888-568-8332. Um, and again, anybody who has experienced or knows somebody who has experienced some kind of sexual violence, sexual assault, anything of that nature can call. Again, it's 24-7. We have volunteers. We have per diem workers that somebody's always going to pick up the phone, um, kind of get a gauge of the, what the situation is, and they will hook you up with the advocate um, who can you know, kind of uh, get you through whatever you may be going through. Um, somebody who has been, uh, has experienced some kind of sexual assault or sexual violence against them, um, we do provide accompaniments. So once you do call the hotline or you are on the way to the hospital or something has happened to you, um, they will hook you up with an advocate from our service. Um, and we're able to meet you at the hospital. Um, the, for the main thing to be a support for you, as well as make sure you're being treated with um, respect, dignity, that the um, collection kit, uh, if you are a survivor of sexual assault, is being done in a proper manner. Um, you know, if you need, you know, any snack, anything like that, um, just to be there again for support for you. Um, we um, do accompaniments also to court. So if there's a situation where you have a court case coming up and you want somebody there, um, you may feel uncomfortable with a family member or whatever situation is, we're there to help you. We don't provide legal advice, but we're there just to basically empower you and make sure, again, that you do it with respect. And just be there somebody, um, just be somebody in your corner. 
um, as well as if something does happen to you and you want to file a police report, we're able to uh, meet you at the police station, um, you know, to, to make sure that, again, you're getting treated with respect, uh, make sure that, you know, you're um, comfortable. If you need a break, we're able to kind of, you know, get in between um, you and maybe the officer that is taking the report and just kind of let them know if you're not comfortable. Like, you know what, let's take a five-minute break, something like that, just to make you as comfortable as possible to make sure that um, the police officer is getting as much information as they can get um, to, you know, get all the information down and hopefully, you know, um, you know, take whoever they need to in the custody or hold them accountable for the actions that they've done. Um, we provide short-term counseling. Um, somebody who may not be um, seeing a therapist at the time, just need somebody to talk to, need somebody to just vent to, kind of let know what's going on or what happened to them. Um, we're there for their short-term counseling as well. Um, we give information, referrals. Um, we have different support groups. We're one of the um, only um, member centers in the state of Connecticut that have specific um, advocates for a specific um, population of people, like myself. I'm the only men and boys advocate in the state of Connecticut. We also have Rachel Conley, who is the LGBTQ advocate, and she's the only one, um, again, in the state of Connecticut. Uh, we have a pre advocate, again, like I said, myself, as well as Lindsay Jones, who helps with um, people who are incarcerated currently and who um, have been incarcerated in the past and has had some form of sexual violence um, against them um, to provide services to them as well. Um, again, we have different support groups for those different um, populations. Uh, we have an adult advocate who deal with, you know, adults who may have, be, may have been, um, um, you know, survivors of child sexual assault or, you know, um, had, had that happen to them in the, you know, in their older days or whatever the situation may be. Um, so we have just a plethora of services that um, can be provided. And again, they're all free and confidential. Um, we also have prevention education, which is something um, I'm really passionate about because I feel like we have two great, just absolutely phenomenal prevention educators um, in Olga Frito and Shania Kaffee. Um, they go into schools. Um, they provide um, sexual violence and sexual assault education um, to um, youth um, from K all the way up to 12. Um, so I feel like, you know, that's just something that um, really needs to be done so we can get rid of this, um, you know, I don't want to say pandemic because of COVID, but, you know, this, um, you know, this horrible situation that's going on in schools, that's going on in our country, that's going on in between, you know, our kids, and they don't really know what to do with it because sexual assault seems to be kind of, um, kind of pushed, I don't want to say pushed under the rug because that's not the right word or the right term, but um, I want to say a lot of schools aren't willing to talk about it because it is a, it is a very tough situation to talk about. Um, and I know a lot of um, teachers um, maybe not be, as well as not comfortable talking about the situation, they not they may not be as equipped with the information that we have and that you know we do the research on to present to the kids. So we try to go into schools and do as much prevention education as we can around sexual assault, sexual harassment, consent, um, boundaries, things of that nature. 
Um, and then we also have a counselor advocate training class, which we call CAT class, um, which is done by Amado and Bradley Alagna. Um, and basically it's a 48 hour class, um, which they talk all about, um, being on a, on a 24 seven hotline. They talk about accompaniments. Uh, they talk about, um, dealing with clients of sexual assault and, um, you can get certified, um, to be a counselor and help us out with this, uh, you know, with this situation that we're dealing with. So those are, um, a majority of the services that we offer. Those are all great um, services. Know, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. And again, the biggest thing is that they're free and confidential. So, you know, um, I just feel like it's, it's just awesome to get our number out there, to get our services out there because, Again, there's no fee. There's nothing like that. It's just we're here to help. And, you know, that's that's our main goal, and that's what we're passionate about. Well, that's very important and great work that you do. If you're comfortable sharing, what makes you passionate about doing this kind of work? Um, I think um, growing up an athlete, um, I was a basketball player, baseball player, um, you know, kind of my whole life growing up. And... Um, seeing the culture and seeing, especially being a male, and I'm the men and boys advocate, so again, you know, I, I fight for the male, um, you know, the men and boys whose voices aren't heard, who are being sexually assaulted and things of that nature, but um, going from the other side of it, just seeing how, you know, what locker room talk looks like, looking, um, looking at how, you know, women are portrayed in the media, um, looking at you know, as a male, what we kind of feel like when we talk about a man box, and that's something that we may get into a little later, but what we almost feel like we're entitled to as being a male, the pressure that comes on to, you know, having, you know, being with as many females as we can and talking about their bodies and, you know, understanding that and being in a locker room and hearing that all the time, it already kind of had something in my head that it's not right, hearing the way we talk females here and the way we talk about just people in general and then as that older um just understanding how bad it can be and some of the terrible things that can happen from it um i used to work at a domestic violence um shelter and that's when it kind of clicked for me is, is like this is why i do this um i went in there as a mentor to young kids whose parents were um in a support group so i was just there kind of you know, dealing with the kids, almost being like a babysitter as their parents were um, being in the support group. Mm-hmm. And as like all these kids and then know their parents, it just clicked where I need to try to make a difference. Whether it's male, female, whatever the situation is, it's, it's, it's terrible, um, the pressures that are put on us um, and how we talk about sexual assault and how we talk about sexual violence and how sometimes we don't even see it. We don't even understand how it's being pumped into our phones on social media, on the ads that we see, um, on the things that we read. We don't even see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the terrible effects it can have on people, men and female, um, was just something that I was just like, you know what, I'm going to try to make it my goal to change this because it's wrong. Um, it's not healthy. And we can't survive um, as a society unless people are trying to change it. It's really important and great to be standing up for something like that. 
So thank you for getting involved and for noticing all these things and wanting to help make that change. No problem. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So I'm always kind of aware that we don't necessarily know who may be listening and that people out there might have a varying knowledge of what sexual violence is. So before getting into some of the questions, I was hoping maybe you could set a baseline understanding for us of when we're talking about sexual violence, what that means. And since although sexual violence can happen to any gender and be perpetrated by any gender, our focus today is gonna to be a little bit more on men and boys. So uh, more specifically to some ways that, that that might impact them uniquely or maybe look a little different for them. Absolutely. When we talk about sexual violence, um, I feel like when people hear violence, they automatically think like the worst, where, you know, somebody is getting murdered or something like that, which, you know, obviously does happen. But, you know, we try to break it down as facts to kind of different levels um, because there is harassment where, you know, there's some people that are going to work who have to deal with being called names, who have to deal with body shaming, who have to deal with a lot of different things. And that's not something we talk about. You know, it's it's just almost almost like accepted in certain um, in certain areas. Mm -hmm. um, when we talk about sexual violence, we talk about sexual harassment. We talk about you know um, your boss or your coach or certain um, you know whatever situation may be, and somebody that may have and I put this you know I have air quotes um, as an authority figure telling you or asking you or in some in, in some instances making you do things that are uncomfortable. Um, to get a promotion, to um, get a starting spot on a basketball team or a softball team, to, um, you know, move up into, you know, the upper echelon of, of money or whatever the situation is. So, I mean, it's such a wide, um, it's such a, it's such a wide area to talk about. Um, you know, some of the things that we do talk about, especially when we talk about prevention education, is consent. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people don't understand what consent is. People don't understand if you're under the influence, you really cannot with consent. What does that mean? What does that look like? When we talk about boundaries, being able to set boundaries where people aren't taking advantage of you or people um, are not making you feel uncomfortable because, you know what, somebody may... Um, come to you and want to hug. And one of the things, and to, to kind of get off topic a little bit, that I feel um, that COVID has done is um, has made people feel a little more comfortable with boundaries because we can't hug, because we can't, you know, shake hands and stuff like that. It's a little um, easier, and I hope people feel a little more comfortable to be like, you know what, even if COVID wasn't here, I can feel comfortable with saying, you know, I, I, I feel, I, I don't feel right if you give me a hug. Let's just, you know, let's fist it up. Mm -hmm. Let's shake hands. You know, to be able um, for a player to say, you know what, coach, I don't like you slapping me on the bottom or something like that. So, um, you know, I just feel like when we talk about sexual violence and sexual assault and sexual harassment, there's such a wide range of things that we can discuss. Mm -hmm. um, but we try to break down that fact is the just the different um levels to it you know we talk about healthy relationships we talk about the signs of the healthy relationships and our relationship and what that looks like um to get people prepared um 
you know, we talk about, um, you know, social media. We talk about people taking, uh, manipulating people and, you know, um, trying to hold and, and blackmailing them over videos that they may have shared or pictures that, that they may have shared. So, again, when we talk about sexual violence, it's not just, you know, um, you know, somebody gets taken advantage of and, you know, that's it. it it's, it's a lot of levels to it. Uh, and if we had, like, nine hours, I could get into all the different levels that we uh, kind of try to expound on. But um, I think those are some of the things when we talk about sexual violence that we want to teach the community, teach the people that we deal with, teach the youth that we deal with, is that, you know, it, it just doesn't start with somebody has an idea in their head and they act on it. Those things are built up. Those things are created by society. Those things are created by the household they may be in. Um, you know, we talk a lot about trauma and things like that to understand why perpetrators do the things that they do. But again, it's grooming. Um, we talk about manipulation. We talk about blackmail. You know, so it's um, it's a lot. It's it's a lot deeper than just people being taken advantage of right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of, um, you know, uh, being taken advantage of in terms of I'm bigger, stronger, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to you. There's a lot of different factors when we talk about sexual violence that, that come into play. So those are just some of the things that we do at SACS to try to paint a picture of what that looks like. That's great. I think I've, uh, it's some of the other questions we might get into some more specifics, which could help to which um, kind of getting into some of the specifics of sexual violence. I recently, because I kind of like to tie in pop culture things with music or movies or TVs. And recently the show, A Teacher, came out. I don't know if you've seen that. But I, I've seen it before, and uh, I have some co workers who, um, who, who talk about it. So I have a, a pretty good idea of uh, kind of what it is. Yeah. Well, there are some good and bad things about it, but I guess the point that I mostly wanted to focus on was that it had a goal of depicting a sexual abuse relationship between a male student and a female teacher. And I know when the advertisement pops up, sometimes reading the comments, you unfortunately see kind of the sad reaction of people thinking that this isn't really sexual violence. And there's, I think, a lot of things that go on with that, with um, stereotypes of male sexuality, or maybe um, thinking that the not understanding the power dynamics that happens in a situation like that. But it is something that I see a lot of times in the news with these situations of teachers and students. So I thought it would be worth talking about that particular dynamic since it's something that happens and something people might be talking about right now. And I was hoping you could share some thoughts on that kind of sexual violence and the grooming process that would be involved in that. Yeah, no problem. Um, thank you for asking. I think, you know, one of the things we think about, um, specifically talking about that show, and again, I haven't seen it per se, but, you know, I've seen, um, you know, situations in the news just like it is, you know, as young males, we're taught, like, if we're able to, you know, be with an older female, um, you know, we have males, uh, names for it, we have a note, you know what I mean, things of that nature, 
um, in the male culture, it's we're looked at as like man, like we're looked at as like oh, that's the cool dude, that's the you know that's the big man on campus type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what we don't is the effects that that has on that young male. Um, the pressure that society kind of puts on us as males, as and men, this is what we do. It's we're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be, you know, powerful. We're supposed to be, you know, um, you know, good looking and and things of that nature, and the provider and stuff like that. But especially in the media, I feel like those situations aren't even um, captured the way they should be. So what I mean by that is I see a lot more cases where um, there's a teacher, just like this this movie or series or whatever, this female teacher is looked at as, um, if it was in the news, it would just be like, you know, oh, you know, she has a lot going on and her husband was doing this and, you know, the kids didn't like her at home and she had to find, you know, some kind of solace in somebody and she did with this young man and yes, it wasn't right because he's young, but, you know, this is what all she had going on at home. Mm-hmm. But if it was up and and if it was in the news and it was a male teacher doing this with a female student, it would be, he's such a terrible person. He's disgusting. How could you prey on such a young person, a young female? You know, she's only 13, whatever the situation is. So mm-hmm. even in the media, it's portrayed in, in a different light. Mm-hmm. Um, but understand it happens to everybody. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, what you identify as. There are, you know, predators out there that will groom that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about, um, you know, people, uh, especially youth, um, you know, having, being involved in sexual violence and, and, and being a survivor of that, they know a lot of the people that, that do that to them. Mm-hmm. So I think it's understanding as a whole, it happens to everybody, it can happen to everybody, but we need to understand the signs. We need to understand whether you're, you know, a young man that is 10, 11, 12 years old or whatever, and you may have a female teacher that, you know, has taken a liking to you. It's understanding what they're really doing. Are they isolating you from your friends? Are they asking you to do things that other students aren't doing? Are they asking you, you know, if you do, you know, come over and, mow, mow, you know, mow the lawn, I'm going to give you an extra five points. So it's things that we need to, realize and understand that it happens to everybody, but because as males, we're not willing to come forward because in our friend group, we're looked at as like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm dealing with my teacher. I'm having relations with my teacher. This is amazing because that's what society puts on us as males from when we're young. We're Whatever, you know, growing up, it's, you know, how many um, sexual partners can you have to spend the third? You know, that's the, the, the crazy kind of mindset that we have as males that needs to change. That's the mindset of, you know, what, whatever it was. And, and it's like that, you know, the macho man type, you know, I'm big and buff and I can get every woman I want, whatever the situation is. Um, it's really breaking down what really happens to that kid. What really happens to their mindset when they're taken advantage of by somebody that's older because they trusted them? What's going on in their home that maybe we can, if we saw that earlier, this wouldn't have happened? 
understand those myths in reality. And some of the myths, you know, that we kind of have in society is that men can't be sexually assaulted. And the reality is, is that it does happen and it's not just in jail. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more? You had mentioned some of the, like, impacts that it might have on them. Could you talk some about, like, the long-term or short-term uh, emotional or psychological or whatever kind of effects that it might have on someone to go through a situation like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some of the risk factors when we deal with, especially um, young males who have dealt with um, being sexually assaulted, um, we talk about drug and alcohol use to not um, want to think about what happened to them. Um, isolation, because as a male, again, when I talk about what society looks at us, we're supposed to be big and strong, so if something happens to us, I can't tell anybody. There's nobody I can go to that I feel comfortable with because I don't want my secret getting out. So if something has happened to me, who do I go to? I can't go to my parents. I can't go to my friends. And I'm going to tell you just um, just talking about the isolation piece. Uh-huh. Um, I don't want to rant, but um, you know, one of the most astounding things, one of the most kind of um, like the light bulb kind of went off in my head where I was just like, wow, moment that happened to me in this job was um, we were having a um, meeting with all the advocates. Um, and the advocate had a older male who was in his, I want to say early seventies and, um, had just come out and told this advocate within the past maybe a year about what happened to him when he was a child, about he was being sexually abused from the ages of six to 12 by an uncle. Um, and when, you know, uh, this male, this client and advocate had a really good uh, relationship and, the advocate asked him why it took him so long because he didn't tell anybody until he was 68 years old, 69 years old. Um, why it, you know, why did it take you so long? Why do you feel like it took you so long to come out? And he said, the pain that I would have felt telling my parents was so much that I waited for them to die mm-hmm. before I mentioned anybody. It's so sad. But you really yeah, if you really sit back and think about that, that's just like, wow, I waited for my parents to pass away to tell, tell anybody, not them. So his, his mindset wasn't even, I'm going to tell them. He's like, I'm waiting for them to die because I'm so afraid to tell somebody else that it may get back to them, mm-hmm. but that's what I waited for. So that's the amount of pressure, judgment, and shame that a male's feel. That why they don't want to go that way. It sounds like um, there can be a lot of obstacles to wanting to come forward or tell someone about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so that's, you know, those are just some of the things. And you have your general, like, aggressiveness and, you know, acceptance of violence because, you know what, um, something happened to me, but I'm going to now put on this, you know, this mask and, be violent and do this and a third because nobody's ever going to think, even if it comes out that something happened to me, they're going to see me as this violent, aggressive, you know, ready to fight at the drop of a dime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to put my masculinity, masculinity on display. Um, 
because I'm trying to cover up the fact that something happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are some of the things when we talk about relationships, you know, um, poor parent-child relationships because, you know, somebody who has been through this don't really know how to um, kind of be a, a good father, a good role model because, you know, there's the amount of shame that they felt. It was almost like, I don't, I don't know what a good relationship looks like. Yeah. I don't know what it feels like. I don't know how to give my son or daughter emotional support because I'm not really dealing with some of the things that I need to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just some of the things to, you know, that may happen or some of the, you know, factors or risk factors that do happen when we deal with um, males who have dealt with sexual violence and you know, sexual assault and things of that nature. Those are important to know. So you have mentioned a lot of obstacles that someone might face. Are there things that your organization does to help lessen some of these or allow for space for people to come forward and know that they can seek help? Absolutely. Um, That's why we provide short-term counseling. Um, We are able to, well, before the pandemic, we were able to have clients come in and talk about everything that's going on. Um, Once they tell us the situation they're going through, we provide them with information and referrals and resources, um, whether if it's to a pro bono lawyer, whether it's kind of breaking down what the, um, you know, kind of what the, if you're going to file a police report, what that looks like, what that process looks like, giving them, you know, a ton of information, but hooking them up with um, resources that are bigger than us, um, hooking them up with community resources that can provide them with enough information um, enough support that they can go in and do whatever they need to do. So along with um, short-term counseling, um, again, we provide referrals to lawyers. We provide referrals to um, support groups. Um, you know, we have campus advocacy where, where there's a college student that needs help. We provide them with the right office to go to to um, file a complaint, things of that nature. Um so we do everything we can in our office to number one, make sure that they're okay in the moment. Um, and then, you know, once we find out that they're, you know, okay, or, you know, we provide, sometimes we deal with suicidal clients and we're trained on the cat class to deal with that and, you know, safety plan and make sure that they're okay. Um, and then again, our biggest thing is once we make sure they're okay, whether that is, you know, one session or it could be 15 sessions and we feel like, you know, they're, getting back to where they need to be, then we hook them up with community resources that can better help them and have way more money and resources than we have that can help them right in that moment to get them going and and hopefully be on a better path than when they came in. That's great to hear. I think it's helpful for people sometimes to know a little bit more about this type of stuff so they know what it looks like going into a place or what they might expect. So it's great that you do all those things. I know in the when talking about obstacles, one of the things that I hear for making it difficult for children to come forward is to not have the language to actually express what happened or be able to share what happened. So in in that case, I think it's good for people to know what warning signs to look out for and kind of be the one that might detect that that's happening with a child. Could you share some of the warning signs that people might notice or how they could know that a child needs help? Absolutely. I think, you know, sometimes, especially in the school setting, 
um, we automatically um, defer to some child who's acting out in terms of maybe being inappropriate, sometimes being, uh, you know, overly aggressive, um, sometimes, you know, challenging the teacher in a disrespectful way, using language that, you know, uh, an older adult may use you know, or things of that nature. I mean, just things like that, um, inappropriate touching, um, you know, just, just some warning signs like that. I feel like we always refer to, you know, that, that kid or child is just bad. Mm-hmm. It's understanding that we have a lot more going on. But when it gets more to the physical touching, when it gets more to using language that, you know, a, a fourth grader shouldn't even know or we feel like shouldn't know, but with today's social media, who knows what age it starts at. Yeah, um, sure. Understanding that, and again, today with phones, just talking about social media, it's more looking through phones, looking at what, you know, um, media they're looking at, what sites they're going to, um, what they're texting their friends, and, you know, I would, you know, um, just really encourage all parents, guardians, grandparents, whatever, um, you know, have an agreement with your child or whoever you're taking care of to have that um, boundary where, look, I'm going to be able to look through your phone. I'm going to know your password because I need to see the things that, you know, are going on and what you're looking at and who you're texting, what pictures are you sending? Cause that's a big one. Um, but yeah, those are some of the signs that, um, if they're talking to older people, mm-hmm. if they're you know, lying about their age to their peers or, you know, who they, who you think may be their peers. And they're talking about, you know, they may be 11 and, you know, saying they're 15, 16, um, you know, things of that nature are really things you need to really look out for. Um, and I would say whatever, you know, if you do have a youth that's in any kind of um, athletic program, after school program, you know, really try to talk to their teachers, advisors, whoever is overseeing them and see if they see anything that may be different or out of the ordinary. Um, because sometimes you are not display that um, behavior at home, but teachers counselors, parents, they pick up on stuff like that. So, um, so you know, I give you kind of a, a little bit about what to look out for, but at the same time, how to um, kind of help with that is you may not see your child being aggressive at home because they know at home there's going to be consequences. Mm-hmm. Or at home, maybe things going on. But at school, they may be able to express themselves in a different manner. So really just touching both for school or after school programs or whoever they're in contact with on a, you know, fairly regular basis to see if anything has changed or their behaviors have changed and, you know, things, things like that. Those are good things to look out for. I know that a lot of organizations are definitely starting to do a better job of reaching out to men and boys and um, acknowledging that they need services and providing them for them. But what are some things that people like parents or dating partners or friends or co-workers could do to let the men and boys in their life know that they're supported or to make sure that they feel like they could speak out if something happened and be believed? Um, I think just finding different ways to communicate with them, um, especially when we talk about men and boys, sometimes they're, um, they don't want to just say it. They don't want to just speak. Um, so saying and give them different avenues to say if things are happening or things are going on, 
you can text me. And I know sometimes that sounds just like, text me. I'm your uncle, I'm your dad, or whatever the situation is, text me. But that's how they make you comfortable. Mm-hmm. It may be, it may be, um, you know, let's, let's go to, you know, the park if they're an athlete. Let's go to um, music, you know, the music room or whatever the situation is, if they play an instrument, whatever it is, try to find what they're comfortable with and try, try to find an environment that they're comfortable in and they're more willing to kind of tell you what's going on than, you know what, I need you to tell me what's going on right now. Because automatically, that's I'm going to jump on the defensive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, they're coming at me. I don't feel comfortable telling you what's going on. But if I'm in an environment, and I do this sometimes with clients that I have that are males, um, you know, I have a client that will go to the basketball court and we'll just shoot hoops. And within five or ten minutes of shooting hoops, we're talking about some of the things that's happened. Because it's comfortable. It's not, I don't have to jump on the defensive. It's giving them options to be able to express themselves in a bunch of different ways. And again, always with those ways, and you may get hit with, you know, um, you know, a, a stop sign every single every single way that you go or every single thing that you um, introduce. But you got to find different ways. You got to keep going because at the end of the day, they're going to tell you what's going on. They want to tell somebody what's going on. But it's what's going to be comfortable. If I do tell you, is something going to change? If I do tell you, is my life going to be miserable now? If I do tell you, are my friends going to know? Mm-hmm. So giving them different options to be able to express themselves, but always let them know that what we talk about is going to stay here. It's going to stay between us unless, obviously, DCF or something, you know, the police need to be involved if it's that egregious. Mm-hmm. But just giving them that kind of, you can tell me and be honest with them too. So let me let me kind of take a step back. Give them the opportunity to tell you, but understand like, you know, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. If you do tell me something that, you know, I may have to get the cops involved in or ECF involved in, I'm just letting you know, but I'm giving you the option. Mm-hmm. And the more you're there, the more they feel comfortable, the more they feel like, all right, like I understand. Then you can get into, well, if I tell you this, or you can say, like, you know, if you tell me something that ECF needs to get involved in or whatever, I can tell you kind of what that process is like. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about parents and, and um, educators and stuff like that, that's what we're here for. We're here to tell them, all right, if you do tell us something that DCF needs to be involved in or whatever, let's have a conversation beforehand to, to let the family know to let the child know what that looks like. Because DC, when you hear DCF, kids automatically get scared. I get scared and I'm grown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's having that conversation, what that looks like, and and just being 100% transparent with them because that's what, you know, that that's what kids want. That makes sense. Do you think that things are getting better in terms of the stigma that men face around coming forward? I do. Um, I do. I feel like there's a long way to go. Um, but I feel like, you know, with Terry Crews coming forward, um, it's just, especially with the media, it's so difficult mm-hmm. because, you know, you see the Harvey Weinsteins and the, 
the Epstein's and stuff like that. So it's it's difficult because I feel like the males don't feel like they're going to be hurt. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's getting better because there are situations like having movies or series like um, the teacher that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Like it's know that because a lot of people don't know that. So the fact that there's actually a show out there that kind of portrays that, mm-hmm. and I hope mm-hmm. the show kind of portrays kind of what the effects of that may have on a young male. Yeah, it like does a little bit. Awesome. Yeah. What's yeah. that? Yeah, I I watched it and definitely does show the effects a, a little bit, especially at the end. So I think it and it provides the resources and things. So that's good to have. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know the other things are, you know, having a men and boys advocate, mm-hmm. and you know, even though I'm the only one in the state right now, the fact that we have one. Yeah. And that's a starting point. Um, you know, there are things like um, that I'm trying to do to try to get into kind of at the athletic realm, mm-hmm. which is a program for coaching boys into men, which is um, dealing with high school coaches mm-hmm. uh, who talk about sexual assault and sexual violence with their um, with their players, with their athletes. Um, it's a, usually like a 12-part series, and it's only... 15 minutes a week, but it's bringing up situations to talk about um, different maybe situations that the athletes may be put in, that they may be, um, you know, kind of getting a gauge of um, what they would do in specific situations, and then kind of talking through that and talking through, you know, if the locker room talk was not, um, was, you know, was terrible or they were talking about things that were inappropriate, how can we kind of stop that talk? and be more positive than just talking about, you know, the negative of whether female's body or whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really important program, and it's things like that, and it's an evidence-based program, and it's um, throughout the state. I'm just trying to bring it to Connecticut, which I work with the Alliance, mm-hmm. who's kind of our, you know, um, one of the main hub, and we're just, uh, um, you know, under that umbrella. Um, but that's, you know, a program that's in place. So I feel like we're, you know, you know, we still have a long ways to go, but we're making we're making a lot of um we're making a lot of strides to to help with that. So it's not where I would want it to be, but the fact that you know I feel like it's um it's gaining some traction, and you know we just have a long way to go. That's good. To, there's hope and the signs of getting better. And I know that um, coaching boys to men program is good. We do do a little bit of that to you. So uh, going with that, the prevention, I think, is really important. And I, I guess when talking about prevention, it could be a lot of things I think people typically think of in the schools, but like parents can do prevention with their children and it can happen in the community as well. But I noticed that sometimes the prevention efforts that people use for sexual violence tend to be more focused on protecting girls or directed at girls is even thinking of just like sometimes on um, social media seeing posts that will say like um things about like educating boys better or protecting girls more different things there just seems to be like such a focus still on how people talk about the women as being victims and men as being perpetrators and i worry that those types of things while they're very helpful because a lot of women are victims, and that's definitely important to talk about about um, 
I do worry about male victims or LGBTQ victims being left out of those conversations. Do you think there's anything that people listening could do to kind of increase their prevention efforts for all genders and sexual orientations a little bit better and sort of balance that out? Absolutely. I think it's just being all inclusive. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I think that's some statistics as well, because I'm pretty sure, um, you know, not a lot of people know that 28% of male victims of sexual assault in the U.S. Um, experienced that under the age of 10 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's throwing out statistics like that that's kind of like, wow, people don't know, people don't understand because it's what we see in the media, it's what is pumped into our phones. And like you said, it's all about, you know, females are the victims and we need to, you know, educate the males. But it's just being all-inclusive. It's, it's having that conversation about the LGBTQ community. It's having the conversation about male survivors is having the conversation about female survivors. So I feel like as much as we, you know, as much work and as much information as we put in to females that are being sexually assaulted and having sexually, you know, and having perpetrated the males, um, we need to put that work into giving people statistics, giving people an understanding that, you know what, males aren't just taken advantage of in prison. It happens when they're outside, it's getting rid of the myths that males can't be the victim of sexual assault by a female. Mm-hmm. It's getting rid of that, you know, that mindset. But the more we talk about it, the more we're going to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. You know, but in time, we need to give as much effort and time into each population as we can, into each group as we can. Mm-hmm. And I. The statistics for females being the survivors of sexual assault, I, I understand that they're through the loop. But, you know, one of the things, again, when we talk about statistics, a lot of things that people don't understand, which we talked about earlier, is as a male, I'm less willing to come forward and talk about what happened to me. So the male statistics are going to be skewed. Yeah. There's not a lot of males that are, that are going to come forward and say, this is what happened to me. So... The numbers are going to be skewed, but it's just having that time, taking as much as we can. We talk about equal amount of time. We talk about each group as we can and talk about how we can help them. Mm-hmm. What we do to be better, whether it's bystander intervention or whatever. Um, and, and, and kind of going on that, kind of going that way instead of just, you know, we're going to do 90% of this presentation about you know, female survivors of sexual violence, 5% for LGBTQ, 5% for males, and then we're done. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely important to include more. And I, I think, well, just as something to consider for if there's any parents listening to, I always think um, making sure that you're having these conversations with everyone as well, instead of like just talking to girls about dating. Yeah, absolutely. We need to have, males need to, and you know, one of the things um, that I'm very fortunate with some of the high schools that we deal with is, you know, I have male groups Mm -hmm. um, that I just talk to about, you know, things that, you know, male survivors and um, consent and boundaries and things like that. But we need to incorporate everybody. It's not just a, it's a majority, I guess, um, you know, 
in society feel like a female issue, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a everybody issue, and mm-hmm. we need to involve everybody. It doesn't we we shouldn't just have a room full of females and talk about things like this. We need a, a room full of mixed male, female, LGBTQ, however you identify. It doesn't matter. It's a it's a topic that we all need to discuss and talk about. The problem is, it's like a taboo subject in some places because people, you know, are very like, no, I don't want to go there. Or I don't want to offend anybody. And it's the only way we can get better, the only way we can educate is to talk about it. We can't shy away from it because this is what's happening. So, yes, I understand when we open a newspaper and we see all the different, you know, terrible situations that are going on. It's, it's, it's. All right, we're going to focus on this. This case was this, and how can this happen to this female? And why did this male do this? And I get what we're filled with, you know, what our minds are filled with, what we see on social media, and when we open our phones, it's breaking news, so-and-so gets arrested, and the Epstein trap. I, I get that. But how do we fix it? It's easy to talk about what the problem is. We know what the problem is. But talking about it and educating ourselves and seeing how we can help one another, help the youth, educate the youth on what's going on, and give them tools, give them ideas of how we can stop this, this is how we make it better. Across the board. It's definitely important, and I don't, we face some of that hesitation with schools sometimes too, but the kids always love having these conversations, and like, I find a lot of um, enthusiasm about having these talks, actually, because it's information that's important to them and that they really want to know. I agree with you 100%, and, you know, I was talking to our um, prevention educator earlier, and we just talked about a bunch of things, and, um, and what we just talked about, like how awesome when we get our groups one-on-one and, you know, even though it's virtual, like they still look forward to it. Yeah. They still are just like, awesome. Oh, I didn't know that. Or they give us information or teach us things, but we're just like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Whether it's, you know, um, you know, new slang that they're using or, you know, the newest type of TikTok channels, whatever it is, mm-hmm. like they educate us as well. Yeah. And they love it. They love conversations. The one thing that I think definitely helps with prevention and is a focus of sexual violence prevention is promoting consent. So could you, again, understanding everybody listening might be at a different place with this, could you explain the definition of consent that you use? Absolutely. So consent um, is there, it exists, only only when there's clear, active, and voluntary yes from all individuals involved. So, you know, it's not... Um, well, somebody was under the influence and said, yes, it has to be clear. It has to be in the moment. It has to be a voluntary yes. It can't be, you know, somebody can't be manipulated into doing it. Um, it's never implied or assumed. Mm-hmm. When you talk about consent, um, it can be given and taken back at any time. So, period. So, you know, if we're, we're doing something, we're in the moment or whatever, and at first I say yes, and then literally two seconds later, I'm like, you know what, I'm not comfortable. Consent can be given and taken away at any time. Um, and someone has to be given it with their free will. It has to be one's free will. Again, it can't be um, forced. It can't be under the influence of um, alcohol or drugs. You can't be coerced, um, peer pressured, um, blackmailed into it. So we, we really have to understand um, 
you know, what that means and what that looks So, again, it needs to be clear. It needs to be um, voluntary, yes, from everybody involved. Um, and, again, I don't, you know, somebody who, who, who is giving consent cannot be pressured into it. It cannot be, um, you know, manipulated into it. You know, it has to be of one's free will, and I cannot give consent if I'm under the influence of drugs or alcohol or anything of that nature. So I think sometimes when it comes to consent, I notice that people can kind of understand it in terms of, like, extremes. Like, if somebody very clearly says no or very clearly says yes. But it seems like with a lot of the with some of the types that people might struggle to understand them. And I think that pressure and coercion is a form of sexual violence that I often hear the most with people struggling to understand. The one example, maybe with focusing on men, is if they say no to having sex with a girlfriend or spouse, that that person will get upset and start saying things like, would you not find me attractive then? Are you with somebody else instead? Or kind of make them feel bad so that they'll say yes to try and make that other person feel better or prove that they care. So this isn't a freely given answer because it's not the choice they wanted, but it's something that they feel like they eventually came around to saying yes. So I noticed that that's one that people have a bit of a hard time with. I know for me that I would not consider that consent, but could you share your thoughts on those types of situations that people might question? Yeah, and sometimes it's difficult when you're in the moment because, you know, after the fact, um, you know, a lot of people say different things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all, all I can say is trying to equip people beforehand when, you know, before the situation occurs is, and this is why we do prevention education, is educating them on the things to do or, or you know, what to ask um, where you feel like, you know what, I did everything I did, uh, everything I could do to ask for consent. So is it okay if we, you know, um, do whatever? Can I? So these are just some of the things when we try to ask for consent um, that you can do to just try your best to protect yourself. And, you know, do you want to? Would you like it if? And then if, if it happens and there's no, you know, whatever the um, situation or the action was, you did everything you can to ask for consent, but the, the, the main point is that you ask for consent. After the fact, you know, some people may be like, well, you know, in the moment, I didn't want to do it. That's why you, you protect yourself and ask these questions beforehand. After the fact, people are going to say whatever, but this is how we try to equip the people that we talk to. This is how we try to educate our youth, our teens, um, you know, our middle schoolers into asking for consent and then you know after the fact just trying to you know lay all the details you know obviously not too in depth but all the details that you did where some people are going to be hurt because whatever some people break up some people you know aren't happy whatever the situation is but when we just talk about specifically consent um you know you have to do what you can to try to protect yourself and, and these are some of the things that we try to teach that, you know, you can say that I asked for consent and I received consent. Because if you don't receive consent, you can ask. If that person doesn't say anything or doesn't say yes, then, then that's a no. Period. If you don't hear a yes, then that's a no. It's not about anything else but that. Mm 
but you ask the question. These are some tactics that we ask, you know, to protect yourself, to ask for consent, and you need to hear a yes. And again, it needs to be voluntary. It needs to be by both parties. And then you kind of take it from there. But there is always going to be that gray area. There is always going to be that situation where somebody, you know, regrets it maybe after, but never said, you know, no. They said yes in the moment. But because of, you know, people are going to find out, you know, it's a, it's a lot that goes with consent. Yeah, I think what, one thing that I always think is important too is thinking about the response to consent. Like I, I saw a video that was talking about that, that I thought was really good about um, ways that you can show respect and just be cool and okay with people's answers no matter what too. And I think that's also an important part. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and again, these are just, you know, do we talk about, especially if I'm talking to like my 15 year old son, am I going to say, Hey son, if you're dealing with, you know, so-and-so you need to say, well, can I do this? No, they're going to be like, he's going to be like, are you crazy? I'm not doing that. But can you put it in a way where you're still asking if it's okay to do whatever act I'm, I, I want to do and to get a yes on So it's, you know, you put it in, however you want to put it. But again, it's making sure that you're making that person feel comfortable. It's not forced. You're not demanding something. You're asking them, hey, is it okay? However you put it, but just understand that you want to hear a yes before you go and try to do whatever you're trying to do. Um, do you have any suggestions on ways that people could maybe bring take on the effort of promoting healthy consent or teaching others about it? I think again, just reaching out to, um, reaching out to us, reaching out to sex, um, letting us know that we're here. We have presentations ready to go, ready to, you know, have people better understand what consent is, um, how to receive consent. Um, how not to be caught in that gray area where it's, well, I thought this or I thought that, where we can make it as, I think nothing is black and white, but we can try to make it as clear cut um, as possible. Again, we're just trying to educate people and give them tools um, that they can, you know, use if they're in that situation, whether it's parents. Because we do, you know, we have a ton of training. They, we just had a training with internet safety where we talked to, um, we had some advocates talk to parents about internet safety and some of the signs and things to look out for um, when we're talking about kids that are in school and stuff like that. So I would say just reach out to us. If you have any questions or anything like that, we're here. You don't need to call us if you just, you know, something just happened to me. We deal with primary survivors, which something, you know, directly happened to somebody. We deal with secondary survivors who I know something happened to a friend, a, a brother, a sister, a colleague, whatever situation. And we deal with tertiary people where, you know, what, I, I, you know, I'm, I, I heard about this and it's affecting me. Um, but again, we're here to provide as much information as we can. So just reach out to us. That's what we're here for. It's great to know. Then 
One thing I think is also really helpful for people is considering how to be bystanders and stand up for each other. But I know with sexual violence, this can sometimes be hard because there are a lot of ways that it happens behind closed doors and that people might not necessarily witness it. But I think some of the things we mentioned in the beginning, like maybe sexual harassment at work or um, like street harassment or different things, people are more likely to see. So what tips would you give a listener on how they could be a helpful bystander in standing up for a man who might be experiencing a type that they can witness? Well, when we talk about bystander intervention, there's kind of like four Ds that we kind of go by, is direct, delegate, distract, or delay. Mm -hmm. um, so, and again, um, you know, we're not saying if you see, you know, a, a person having a fight with their spouse that you should just jump in and you know we're not saying that we don't want anybody to get hurt but there's different ways you can do where you know you can directly get involved like you say you know that individual and his partner or whatever and you see things getting a little heated it's just like hey i'm gonna go in there i'm gonna you know walk him away i'm gonna walk her away kind of break that tension in that moment to have them both think about kind of what's going on let's take a step back breather we don't want to get, you know, we don't want to get tensions too high where something may happen that, you know, both people, um, you know, regret in the long run. Mm -hmm. um, we can delegate, which is um, get somebody who's better equipped to deal with the situation. So if you're, you know, in a school and you see, you know, a, a situation getting heated between two people, either their friends or whatever the situation is, go get a teacher, get somebody that can intervene, um, you know, that, that that's better equipped to deal with the situation that can you know, kind of just kind of be escalated mm -hmm. um, because you may not be equipped to tool to do that. Um, you can distract sometimes, especially now when we talk about phones and stuff like that. Um, interrupt the situation. You don't have to directly confront what's going on, but you can be like, "Hey, let's blow your phone" or whatever. If you see some people getting into it, um, and trust me, that that one kind of distracts people the most because people can't really deal without their phone. Mm -hmm. um, and that may kind of distract that individual from maybe um, escalating the situation where, you know, it can lead to bad things. Mm -hmm. um, and then again, try to delay. If you know, you know, you're dealing with somebody who, you know, is upset, um, you know that, you know, they feel a certain type of way about, you know, the person that they're dealing with, you can kind of um, take them away, be like, hey, let's go for a ride, let's go for a walk. Trying to mm -hmm. delay the consultation that's going to happen to make them further think about why am I upset? What can I do to, you know, bring myself down? If I'm already going in here amped up that, you know, whatever, I'm not going to give scenarios, but I'm already amped up because somebody did something where I interpreted something a certain type of way. What can I do to, as a bystander, delay that interaction? Let's go for a walk and let's talk about it. Let's go for a walk and be like, hey, did you really think this through? Because then that leads for, all right, when that person is able to see whoever they're dealing with or whoever they may have a problem with, all right, I can, I thought about this, I looked at it from multiple and different perspectives, now I'm better equipped to deal with the situation and have a conversation than going there with my adrenaline pumping, being pissed off, being upset, being on the defensive, and then, you know, may do something that, um, I may regret. Those are all good options. 
And um, my final question is, in case somebody out there listening is a man who's experienced sexual violence, what would you want him to know? That they're not alone, that I'm here, um, that I have a number that they can call. They can call the 24-7 hotline. Um, you know, um, they will be connected with somebody right away. Um, and with that, um, they, you know, especially if they're a male, um, that person is going to be in touch with me. Again, the 24-7 hotline is to just kind of be um, right there. What do you need? Do you need help trying to figure out the situation? Um, how can we best help? And then within that, um, within 48 hours, you'll hear from myself um, to know that, you know, you're not in this alone. Um, I can give you a bunch of resources and information um, that can help. And I'll do everything in my power to do everything that I can to help you through the situation and know that, you know, that's what I'm here for and this is what I do and this is my passion and, and I love to do it. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the work that you do in helping us raise awareness about this important topic and taking some time to talk to us today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Um, thank you so much for um, everything that you do. And if you need anything from me, please don't hesitate to give me a call. So thank you again to Jamal Wagner, the men and boys advocate at the YWCA New Britain Sexual Assault Crisis Service for taking the time to talk with us today. He has mentioned in this interview the resources and the hotline phone number, but I'm also going to attach that into the comments. So if you want to come back and learn where those resources are or how to access them, you'll be able to see that in the written description. If you have any questions, there's anything that we kind of talked about that sparked something in you, some idea or some question that you had, or there's a topic that you really wish that we would take a deeper dive into or that you could learn more about, please feel free to send that feedback my way. I am happy to make upcoming podcasts that maybe get a little bit more deep into a certain aspect of these topics that you might want to learn more about. Or if it's a personal question that I can just help you one-on-one with or bring up in a future episode to help other people with, that would be great. We definitely are always happy to hear from you and to know what kind of things that you're into and want to learn more about. So please feel free to send those my way. I think that there's a lot of great things that I got from this interview. I know I learned a lot. I hope that you learned a lot as well. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Feel free to share this with people and help us spread the word because as we talked about in this interview, ending that stigma and letting people know that help is available for them and that they're not alone is so important as well as our prevention efforts and kind of getting people to rethink them a little bit in terms of being more inclusive to all genders and all sexual orientations is really important because we don't want to downplay the significance of female victims in any way, but we do want to reach out more to let everybody know that these services are available, that they can experience these things, and that their experiences are valid, and to be able to get them any support in the healing journey that they're going through. 
So thank you again for listening. Feel free to share this to spread the word and hopefully you'll tune in for our next episode. Have a great day and stay safe and healthy.